So when you started racing, yeah. what myths or misconceptions were expelled immediately once you started? I would say that it was easy. Well, you know, for me, just by looking at it, I always thought, well, okay, you sit in a car, you go up to the line, and then you just drive, right? And you just go faster than the other guy. But there's so much prep involved because we're tuning our cars to do one thing. That's to go fast and, you know, obviously stay in control and win races, right? So I always just thought, well, just get in the car and drive. But it's not like that. We have, when we show up to the track, we have to get the car ready, start it, warm it up, tune it, get everything ready. And then I can get myself in the right frame of mind to start my day. Because it's not just, okay, I get in the car and I'm ready to go. I have to, because for people who don't know drag racing, you have to leave at, a, at the right time. If you leave too early, it's called a red light. And if you leave too late, well, then that guy's got a head start on you. So I always thought, well, you just go in the, when it turns green. But obviously, my dad, knowing cars, racing for years, he kind of explained things to me. Well, if you think about it like, like somebody's reaction, like if someone throws a ball to them, right? They kind of have, it's not like right when the ball gets, they throw their hands up immediately. So when, right before the light turns green, that's actually when you want to go. And then, because by the time your, your brain reacts to your foot and the car actually moves, by that time, the light's already green. So if you wait for the light to be green, well, you're way behind. And I always just thought, well, it's not going to matter that much, right? Because, you know, my dad would tell me stories. He's like, ah, I lost a race by like, like three hundredths of a second. I'm like, oh, it's like you were right there. He's like, well... Because it was actually over at the start line because I, I left three hundredths of a second later than the other guy. And the other guy had a really good reaction time and won the race. So I'd say that was the biggest thing. The preparation it takes and then just how much time or how little time, sorry, it takes to win or lose a race. And that was the biggest thing for me. So you can lose the race the moment you start. Yes. So, I mean, if you read, if you leave too early, so basically there's a, there's a, like they call it a tree. So you pre-stage the car, these two bulbs light up and then you roll a little bit more forward and then, then your car is staged, it's ready to go. And then there's a yellow light, yellow light, yellow light, green. So you, you have to anticipate it. So you're sitting there watching the lights come down and it's four tenths. So it's like pretty quick. It's like of a second. And then green. But you, what I would do is as soon as that last bulb lights up, then I hit it, hit the gas. Because by the time I, it feels like you're going to leave way early, but by the time you react, the light's already green. So you have to hit it when that last yellow comes. Comes. And you all, but you also have to know your car. And that's where the tuning comes in. Because let's say I have a slower car and it reacts slower. Well, I have to now adjust to say, okay, I need to move, I need to leave earlier or later, depending on your car's setup. So that's another big thing. You also have to understand how your car reacts because every car reacts different. Everybody has a different setup, I guess you could say, or some, some people tune their cars differently, right? Some people tune their cars to be faster in the top end. Some guys like to get a head start early. 
So you have to understand when you tune the car, you have to understand that as well. All right. What conditions can affect the start time when you hit that gas? I mean, the track conditions are a big thing. Usually they're pretty good because they, you know, they spray them with this traction compound. And all that is, is basically this really sticky fluid that they spray along the track. It's just to keep, just to keep traction. Consistent like, traction. Yeah. So, I mean, if they don't spray it enough, that's, that's like the least likely scenario. But a lot of times there's a lot, there's car, cause there's only two lanes, right? So the car in front of you, let's say he drips some water. Right. And now that gets on your tires and the, the people at the start line don't notice it. That can affect it because then your tires spin. What if a guy, cause crashes do happen. It's just, it's part of the, it's part of the, of the, the sport. Game. It's part of the, the game. Yeah. And I think, you know, they do a pretty good job of cleaning up. They do a really good job, but if they just miss a little bit of oil now you got oil under your tires and to give people an idea, you know, it's not like I'm going as fast as like driving down circle or driving down the highway. You know, the car is going like 125 miles an hour. Yeah. So there's a bunch of, you know, it's a lot of horsepower moving fast. So a little bit of oil on the, cause the back tires of a, of a drag racing car don't have tread. So there's any liquid between the pavement and the tire is it, a malt is a, is a problem. It can be water is the least of your worries, but yeah, if there's oil and then that tire slips if you're going 120 miles an hour you can't just well just let off the gas and steer through i mean you can but if the car goes sideways well hang on so there's not much margin for error no it's also one of those things where you don't want to you know there's times where you know if the car launches good but it, you know sometimes you know i've had i've had moments where the back end feels like it's kind of swerving on me back and forth and you just got to keep your foot down but also Keep that steering wheel straight because if I, you know, if you overcorrect, you overcorrect one way and then you panic and you turn the wheel the other way, well, all of a sudden you're going that fast, the car's doing this. So it's the tail is whipping, even it compounds when you overcorrect. Yes, big time. How do you handle the pressure of doing this? You know, our car is, I guess you can say mild compared to what some people have in drag racing. So for us, we're not, it's not too bad. We don't really have any serious issues where we're trying to keep control of the car. I mean, it has, it has happened. I had one time, I remember a couple years ago, I was, it was in a time trial. So it wasn't like a elimination round or anything. Um, car launched fine. It was, felt really good. And then I hit about half track. And as soon as I shifted in the second gear back end, like snapped out like that for about a, for, and it felt like a very long time, but it's probably only for about half a second. But like I said earlier, half a second is actually a lot of time, especially in drag racing. Right. So the car was like about this for half a second. And then I just, I Whoa. kept my foot down. It was full on sideways, not full on sideways, but if this is straight, yeah, it was like. And then oh, kind of, it was kind of like at a 45 almost. Yeah. About that. And then I just, I don't know why. I mean, most people would panic. I don't know why I didn't though. I think I just figured like I'd never been in that situation. So I never thought to lift off the gas pedal or anything. And I just slowly turned the wheel and then the car went back to normal. What was and, going through your mind when this happened? Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but and I, I don't know why, but I just, something in my mind was like, just turn the wheel. 
Well, just a little bit. And then it straightened out and we kept going. While keeping your foot pinned. Yes. How'd that race go? Pretty good, actually. We, I mean, we might've been like, you know, maybe, maybe lost like five hundredths or maybe a 10th of a second, if that. But so we did. didn't really lose much time, but like the race itself. Yeah. Like as soon as I got it back to normal, then my shift light came on again, shifted to third and just kept going. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, when things like that do happen, if that happened now, I wouldn't like, it wouldn't even, like I might even just forget about it Oh, because I've raced because now I've been doing it for what, seven years, I think. So for me now, if I did it now, well, it's just part of racing, but three, four years ago when it happened, it scared a- me, but I was shocked at how well I reacted, but it's also because it happens like that. It happens so quick. You didn't have a chance. To- and I didn't think like, oh, what do I do here? I'm going to let off the gas pedal. Then I'm going to turn. It was just like, oh, car's going sideways. Turn the wheel a little bit. <laughs> right? So out of nowhere, this happened. How did that affect the next race that you went on? It didn't really. And I'll, the reason why is because I was like, okay, it happened. And I reacted very well. If it happens again, I already know what to do. So you trusted yourself. So I trusted myself. And also I talked to my dad about it. Like I said, he's been racing for years. He, you know, even when I told him, he's like, well, what did you do? And I just said, well, I just kind of just angled the wheel back to keep it straight. He's like, good. Because what some people might do is they might hit the brakes. But if you're going that fast and you hit the brakes, what can actually happen is your brakes will lock up and you can flip the car or the car will go sideways and you'll roll it. Like there's like, I've seen some really bad crashes out there. Like it doesn't happen very often. Let's say like one a year. So in that moment, you did the best thing you could have done. Yes. Yes. What's the worst crash you've ever seen? There was this guy from, I won't say his name. He was from, he's from, from the province, I'll just say. And um, he had this old Ford station wagon. And you'd think, well, that's not a fast car. He was a street, he, it was a street legal car, but it probably ran like eight seconds at like 160 miles an hour. This thing was a monster. And I think this happened well, like about two years ago. And he's going down the track. Everything's fine. He gets about half track out. Car goes completely sideways. And he starts in the right lane and he cars turn sideways. He cuts across the other lane. And he, when he was crossing the lane, you could see, because I saw it right from standing right at the start line. You can see the wheels turn and he tries to save it, not hit the guardrail. But when he turned the wheel, the car kind of came up on its front wheels and was rolling down the track. And at the, at the end of the track, there's a, there's this electronic board, right? That says your time and your speed. He was rolling. His car was rolling through the lights at 125 miles an hour. Holy. So the top speed my car my car can go, he was rolling through the lights that fast. How, how was he? There's always an ambulance and paramedics there because these things can happen. So I mean, he was taken care of, but he I think he had a broken leg, broken arm, broken pelvis. It was bad. And I've seen rollovers and cars on fire there from bad accidents, and most of the time the drivers can completely fine and that's a testament to the safety gear we have to wear so people listening to this it's not like i just get in the car and put a seatbelt on 
Like there's a lot that actually goes in. My car has a roll bar. I have to wear a fire suit, a helmet, pants. I have a five point harness. I'm strapped to the seat in. So I can't, you know, if the car rolls, you're just in the seat. You're so just, just so people know that I'm talking about these bad crashes, but it's not just a seatbelt. Like there's a lot. And the faster you go, the more safety equipment you need. So, so his safety equipment, it could have been worse. Yeah. Like if you were to see that crash on the road, you'd be like, oh, that person, they're dead. You, you would think that, right? 120, 125 mile per hour rolling. rolling. So of course, so have that happen on the street? Of course. But at the track, I mean... If you think what he just went through, you know, broken bones is pretty lucky. Yeah, that seems mild for what could have happened. Exactly. So there's actually real consequence to this racing. Yeah. Yeah. How do you manage your anxiety if you have any? See, when I started, like I was, I think I was 19 when I first started racing. And we had a slower car. It was like 13 seconds, maybe, maybe 100 mile an hour. So I knew that it was like, well, our car doesn't really go that fast to really have anything happen. But as time went on, we got faster and faster and faster. And you think about it. I mean, it's, it's impossible not to. I think that's why you, when you're racing, there's a lot of focus involved too. You have to, like how I reacted when my car slid. If I'm not in the right state of mind, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I think you have to push all that aside and just focus on what you have to do to get that car down the track. So, I mean, you, like I said, it can happen, but I feel like it's all in how you manage it. I always have a routine when I come up to the line. It starts when I get, it starts when I'm in the staging lanes waiting for my turn to go to when I launch the car. And I do it the same every time. And I've had so many runs where nothing bad has happened, right? So I almost, when I do that routine, I'm just like, oh, it's just another run. I've done this routine how many times? Every other time I did it, nothing bad happened. So not, why would not anything bad happen now? And I kind of just dismiss it. And, all, and that av- evidence just stacks up. I'm going to yeah. be okay every time. So every time I do it, it's just like, well, it worked again. It worked again. worked again. And so on. So I, you almost just convince yourself, well, nothing bad's going to happen. And so. you also have that trust in yourself. And I have that, yeah, exactly. And I also have a great manner, mentor. You know, my dad's, he's worked with cars his whole life, right? So he kind of, and he's racing for a long time, so. 100%. And he has, clearly has his son in the driver's seat. Exactly. So he's going to make sure everything's going to be fine, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The story checks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How does your dad feel while you're racing? Pretty calm. He, he's not really too worried. My mother, on the other hand, probably a little more concerned, as mothers do, right? Uh, but my, you know, my dad, he's pretty laid back. But I think he also knows he can trust me to manage, and he also knows he can trust himself and his wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. Before every run, we always do like a check around the car. Make sure everything on the engine is fine. Make sure the tires have the right amount of air pressure in them. What happens in between the runs? So immediately after I'm done, I drive back to our pit, to our stall in the pits, right? And then I have the time slip to see, and it has your reaction time. Six, you're 60 feet, 330 feet, eighth mile, a thousand feet, and then quarter mile. Because it's a quarter mile length and it has your times 
for each of those increments. So has your 60 foot time, 330 foot time, half track time and so on. So we go through that and make sure everything's kind of where it usually is. And then my dad will ask me a question like how'd it feel or if there was something that was off I felt in the run, I'll explain it to him. And then we, if there's anything we need to go over on the car, we do that. And then it can be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour between each run. It really depends on the last run. If everything went well, well, then there's nothing really to change. What's the biggest change you've had to make in between a run? One time our water pump didn't work. That's a big deal because these car, you know, we're running them pedal to the metal all the time. The engines get very hot, right? But if you don't have a water pump circulating water through your motor, it's really hot. And it wouldn't, when I would start the car and I flick on all these switches, so there's ignition, fuel pump, water pump, and then fan. And I flick on the water pump and I can't really hear it. I'm like, it's not great. And then what we'd have to do in between each run, my dad would come with me to the start line when I would start the car. He would have to open the hood and turn the um, water fan belt to get it to spin. And then by the time I would finish my burnout and launch the car, the water pump would fail again. So sometimes I'm, I'm coming down the return road and the engine's over 200 degrees. So I'm like, I'll melt the bearings off this damn thing, right? So that's just how we, you have to adapt, right? But you also don't want to break the car because that can cause serious problems, right? So pretty much what I would do is we just, we'd get a bucket of water and we'd get, take towels and we just like cover the engine with cold towels during the cool down time in between runs. Cause that's all we could do because we couldn't get the water pump to work. What made it so you guys just didn't stop racing that day? Cause I was still winning. <laughs> <laughs> so it happened in the third time trial. We got three time trials, right? But then I won the, and then we were like, okay, well, we lose out, then we can just get a new water pump. But I won. I was like, all right. And then I won again. Then I won again. I think I won three rounds. So we were just like, well, might as well keep going. We're usually pretty conservative. If something happens to our car and we think it's serious enough, we'll just stop racing. Usually. We thought this is something we can at least manage. It's not the end of the world. If your water pump isn't working, you just have to be very careful of how hot your engine gets. When was the last time you, there was something you couldn't manage? Uh, last race season, actually, in September. Um, it was something with our transmission. When I would shift from first to second gear, it, the engine would over-rev and, like, delay and then shift. And it felt like it was grinding on something inside of the transmission. But it was one of those things that happened in the second time trial. And then we're like, okay, well, we'll run again, see if it happens, maybe... You know, let's just, you might, like my dad said, you know, tell me if what you feel when you come back. It was like, same thing again. Then it was elim elimination started. I'm like, okay. And then I, I think I won one or two rounds. And then when I lost, it was on a Saturday and we usually race Saturday, Sunday. We didn't come back for Sunday because we thought you'd rather not blow up the transmission. So we took the car out or the transmission out, sent it in. And then we got it back and then, you know, I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was grinding on something inside of the transmission in the bell housing. And then they fixed it. 
we got it back Friday. Our last race of the year was Saturday. So there was a two weeks in between. So we thought plenty of time to get the transmission back. Whatever was going on at the shop, we got it back Friday. We were racing Saturday. So I went to my parents' place. We were in the garage helping my dad fix it. And we had to put the transmission back in, the motor back in, and the headers back in. And it probably took, it shouldn't take as long as it took, but we were having problems. And it probably took like five hours. And we had to be up at 6.30 to go to the track the next morning. I think we finished around 12.30. Midnight? Midnight. And you had to be up that next morning. Yeah, like in six hours because I had to race. Because it was the last race of the year. It was like, well, we got to get out for it. Right, we're not going to be able to do this again till May. How so, how the next day go? Transmission was fine, but I lost in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> Still worth it. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a good experience putting the car kind of back together with my dad because I had you know. Cars in general, I was never interested in cars when I was a kid. Didn't know anything about them, didn't care. Until I was about 18 or 19. Then I was like, I kind of started getting into it. Got into racing. And that's why we bought the car. Because my dad, well, he didn't need any convincing, of course. So, putting the car back together that night was worth it. Because I learned a lot. And, you know, my dad's kind of the brains behind the whole idea of racing for me anyways so it was nice to actually get in there and help them with the mechanical side of things as well not just race the car you felt you were more part of the team after that night yeah 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 i would say so yeah so what what turned you on to racing then i remember one probably like 17 or 18 and my dad, he's always known guys who have raced, even after he quit racing. He hadn't raced for like 15 years, but he still knew guys in the car, in the car world and racing world. So one night he's like, I'm going to go and watch um, the races on Friday night because Friday night's street legal. So you pay like 30 bucks. You can make as many runs as you want. You get your car uh, checked over. If it's good to go, you can race any car. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a race car. You can just have fun down the track. But sometimes guys bring out really fast cars and the guys that are racing on the weekend will also race their cars Friday night. Cause it's like, well, I'm here and I'm racing the weekend. Might as well have some fun tonight. So I was like, Oh, I'll go with you. Like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's interesting. And yeah, I went and it was like, I was like, wow. Like I'd never really appreciated it and never really cared, but I like sat in the stands and like watched these cars making their runs and just the sound of the cars the speed of them, I was like, wow, like, this is like really cool. And I remember the next day, it was Saturday, and I was at home, and I didn't have anything to do. And I knew there was races going on. So I didn't even, I didn't even tell my dad or my parents where I was going, I just left. And I went to the racetrack by myself and watched it again. I was like, man, like, I wanna do this, right? My dad's like, where were you? I was like, at the track. He's like, what? It's like, yeah, I went to the track to like watch again. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, yeah. And then as the summer went on, we went a couple more times. And I was like, I just asked him, I was like, do you miss racing? He's, you know, do you miss racing? And he's like, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, something I did, as, you know, did as a younger guy, and it's something I have always loved to do. And I was like, we should get a car. And he's like, oh, I don't know, I haven't been in it for years, and I don't know, your mom won't like it. And I was like, well, like, just, like, let's just try it out, right? So then we started just looking at cars on Kijiji because we just buy something cheap and we're just gonna we're gonna build it ourselves anyways, right? So. Yeah, we looked at a couple of cars and my mom's like, oh, he's it's just a phase. He's going to, he might be interested for like a year or two and then he's not going to care. And that might've been true at the time. I didn't know, but at the time I knew I liked racing and I, and I was interested in cars for the first time. So at the time I could see how they're like, oh, it's just a phase. Like we'll race for a year or two. And then, oh, my dad will have to take over the car because I'll lose interest. But that never happened. You know, seven or eight years later, I'm still want to do it and continue to do it. So, yeah. So they both support you on it. Yeah. Yeah. So though you're racing individually, you and your dad are a team. How is it with the other racers? It's very much the same. Like sometimes guys, you know, they'll be like, a guy will be racing and it might not be like his family. It might just be like his friends who help him maintain the car. And that's, that's pretty common. Like there's very few guys who just race by themselves. And the guys that do, or the guys that might have like a fast street car that doesn't really require maintenance. Because if you can drive it to and from the track and it's your daily driver, there's not a lot that's going to go wrong. So you kind of need at least two sets of hands when you have to do more maintenance. Oh, absolutely. Like for me, I wouldn't be able to just go to the track alone. I could. I could, I could tow the car there and get it ready and everything. And if nothing goes wrong, I'd probably be okay. But like if we need to check on something, I have fair amount of knowledge but nowhere near what my dad knows and I wouldn't know what to do if like something went wrong enough I wouldn't like be able to so you both need each other right and if there's maintenance dude in the off season I don't know what to do right my dad is the one that's going to be like oh we should change this or change that so without him I wouldn't be racing it's pretty much yeah that's pretty much how it is and in a sense without you without that spark he right, wouldn't, he would have just left it behind. Absolutely not. Yeah. He would have not, he wouldn't even have really thought of it. He would just been like, well, nobody's interested. I haven't done it for a while. So forget he, about it. He never even brought it up with you. No, no. I was the one to initiate it because he might've been thinking like, oh, I, I guess he likes racing. But then I'm, once I was like, oh, we should do it. How's your relationship with your dad been before racing versus after racing? We've always been pretty close. I don't know if a lot has changed. I mean, obviously we spend more time together because we're there at the track all day, right? So in stuff like that, you know, it might've brought us a little bit closer, but not, I wouldn't say there's been a huge change because it was always good before. So it's kind of just continued, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It evolved into something greater. Yeah. 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 That'd be a good way to put it. Yeah. How is it when you interact with the other racers at the track? Good. It, it's, it's like one big family. So like, everybody gets along. Everybody gets along. I mean, there's obviously there's disputes, you know, and there might be some people you don't like or, but you don't really let it get out of hand. But overall, 99% of the people there, you can just go up and talk to them and you just ask them about their car. And all of a sudden you're talking to them for the next 10 minutes because they love what they're doing and they love cars. So like, Oh, this guy wants to know about my car. I'll talk to him. 
know, and then you, you, you know, you, you build relationships with people at the track that you become close with, you know, you become friends with, right? So you're always talking to them anyways. So I would say it's, it's a pretty friendly group of people. Like there's not really any rivalries, but like a lot of those guys have been racing out there for since like the eighties, right? So we're talking like four, 30, 40 years. So there's racing teams and it's just a bunch of friends that get together and they're all part of a crew and then they name their team. Like so there's the smoke and guns racing team. There's the cam busters that are from Yorkton. So there's people that come together as friends and they kind of form a big group and they, you know, they all hang out at the track because a lot of people spend the night there because they're from out of town. So they have trailers. So they all hang out after the races. So it's actually a pretty tight bond at the track. So it's a big event then. People actually, they spend the night, they hang out. Oh yeah, like there's probably over a hundred racers every weekend. Plus if their family's there or their their pit crew is there, people that help them on the car. So there's hundred, hundreds of people over the weekend that are there. So this is actually a fun community to hang out with even if you're not a racer. Oh, yeah. Like, if you just go up to somebody and be like, hey, man, I really like your car. Like, you know, they're probably willing to tell you everything, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really positive community. And that was actually when the, your question about the myths that you asked me early on. That's something I wouldn't have really thought of. Because I always thought of as like, it's a competition. Like that's, your, that's your competitor, right? And you just kind of stay in your pit and you just mind your own business. But no, like a lot of people, if your car breaks, there's three or four or five guys ready to help you if, if you need something or if you need a, like a tool that you don't, you forgot or don't have somebody, there's probably like, like I said, three, four guys that will offer you that tool or the help that you need. So it's a really good community because we're all doing the same thing, right? We're all there for the same reason. Nobody wants to see somebody's car break, right? You don't want your car to break. You don't want their car to break, so you help them. Yeah, everybody knows we're here for the same reason. Yeah. And I'm going to help you because I, I would yeah. love it if somebody helped me. Yeah. Like the only animosity out there is like, because you've known somebody for so long, there might be something they've done and there might, there might be personal issues with people, but it's usually brushed aside and it never really comes to light during the event so yeah races for the race and right. you guys can do whatever at the barbecue after right what's the biggest repair you've seen in between runs that's happened i've seen some like um really fast cars like alcohol cars pretty much do like a full like engine repair basically like re like almost rebuild the engine like rebuild the clutches almost like engine overhauls be done in like an hour and a half so in between the runs they actually get it all they can get it all done yeah, I mean, they usually don't run every 45 minutes. They're usually like maybe like an hour and a half to two hours. So they have more time. But I mean, yeah, as something like that goes, an hour and a half to two hours is pretty fast to get things done. How do they test it to make sure it works before they do the run? Well, they, they, they fire it up in the pits like they start it. And then usually what they do is they have these stands that go under the back of the car and it lifts the back wheels up. So then they just hit the gas pedal, but it's not actually, you know, the wheels are off the ground. So, and then they just kind of, you can go by sound and pretty much if you're doing a tune up and repairing things, you probably already know what it's going to do after. So, okay. and that's where the knowledge comes in, right? You should know what you did, what you should know how the car is going to react to what you just did. 
And so they're actually, they'll take it to the, they'll rev it high and do all that stuff to make sure it's safe. Yeah, I'm not like crazy high, but you know, maybe a couple thousand RPM. But like I said, if you're experienced, you can just hear it, right? Yeah. But the, I mean, the ultimate test is really getting it on the track. Like they might make two test runs before they really open it up to make sure everything's working well. Could you walk me through what goes on the day of? Yeah. Um, so the races usually start in the morning between 9 and 10 a.m. So I'm up at like 6.30 that morning, right? And then I go to meet my dad at their house. And I get the, help him get the car on the trailer and pack everything up. All the tools, any sort of tools we'll need. Um, maybe some spare tires if we have them. Chairs. Because you've got to think about the non-racing side of it too when you're in the downtime. You know, you want some chairs to sit on in your pit. So you got to think of pretty much everything that you're going to do that day. We put a bike, like a pedal bike in the truck because that's, it's easier to get around the track and talk to people if you're on your bike. It's easier to go if you want to go watch the races, just hop on the bike and go. Then we tow the car to the track. We get there like an hour, hour and a half before the races start just to make sure we're ready for everything. We start up the car back it up off the trailer. And then usually what we'll do, my dad will just quick check over everything. And then I'll actually drive the car through the pits. And so there's two lanes, that's where you race. And then there's a return road that comes back the other way. I'll drive down the, and this is common, like most, a lot of racers will do it. They'll drive down the return road to the end of the track and then turn onto the track. And then they can go a little faster down the track. And that's just to get the car warmed up. And even that, I do the same thing every time. I drive down the tra- track or the return road. And I even shift at the same spots. Like It's like they do everything the same. Get onto the track and then I rev the engine really high. And then I punch it for like a second. Everything sounds good. Go. And then I come back to the pit. Park the car. Get out. And then we just wait. And then they'll make the call. Um, the, the, the class I race in is called pro. So they'll say pro to the staging lanes and they give you a couple of calls to get ready. So then when that call is made, my dad will check the tire pressure and I'll get my jacket on my pants on my helmet ready and everything. And then once everything's good to go, I fire up the car and then I go wait in the staging lanes. What makes it so you don't check the tire pressure earlier? If I check it 20 minutes earlier, and then I release the air out of the tires and they get it to what I want. That 20 minutes has gone by. That might not be the same anymore. So I want to limit the time from when I'm racing to when I check the tire pressure to make sure it's going to stay the same. Because by the time they call my class to the staging lanes, it's maybe about five to maybe 10 minutes maximum until I'm actually racing. Okay. So we do it sooner. Yeah. There's guys that check it in the staging lanes. You kind of figure out what works for your setup. And then you kind of want it bang on. And that's why you have to check it. Because that 60 foot time or that reaction time can depend on your tires. If you don't have the right amount of tire pressure, it might slow you down a little bit. Your reaction time might be slowed down and your launch might be slowed down if you don't have proper tire pressure. It's very minor things that make a big difference. What's the smallest thing you found that makes the biggest difference? 
putting more more pressure in your front tires. So for people who don't know racing, this is going to sound like, I'll try to make it make sense. So basically, like I said, you pre-stage the car. So you're on the track, car is running, you pre-stage it, those bulbs light up. And then you stage it, you roll forward and the second bulb lights up. So now that's basically like you're locked in, like you're ready to go, right? What I do, we put a little bit more tire pressure in the front tires. So it raises the tire and it's, 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 it's tiny, like very small enough, but it just raises it up a bit. So once I'm staged, I creep forward just a, like maybe like, honestly, it feels like it's this much. Just a, a I creep heap. forward just a little bit more without tripping the beam. Cause if I go too forward now, I'm too far. So I roll forward just enough, just a little bit. Right. And if I had a little less pressure in the tires, the tires might be a little, there might be a little more pressure on them and I might roll the beam. So you put a little bit more pressure in and you can actually roll forward a little bit more and then it helps your reaction time because you're closer to where you launch and that can actually help you with a better reaction time. A lot of people don't know that. So a little bit of PSI changes the angle of the front of the vehicle yeah. so that you can go even just a like... It might even be this much, might but be you might win inches. the race by that much. So those four inches matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I never used to do that, but then I fig I was having troubles with my timing on the reaction time. I was always late, always late. I was like, what the hell's going on? So my dad tried that and he said, just roll forward just a little bit. And I've been doing it ever since. And it works. How did you guys figure that out? Well, like I said, my dad has a lot of knowledge. So he, he's heard that trick before. I never heard of it. And when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, like, like, yo, that's really going to make a big difference. Right. That, that was, you know, I was ignorant about it. Cause that's not going to work. But then we did it. You humored him. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Like I'll do it. And yeah, like, it made it a lot easier. We had to adjust our, our, when we left though, I had to leave just a little bit later because I'm a little more forward. It was easy. To, I found it easy to adapt to it. So we just stuck with it. And I would say my reaction times were obviously better because I was struggling, but I think they were better than they were even when I was felt like I was doing well. So I think it's made a huge difference and it's something so minor. Yeah. And it costs no money. No. What has your reaction time been since you start versus when you're where you are now? So when I started, it was like a 1.0, like a second after, like it was like, right. Cause you know, and then now, if it's less than 0.5 or more than 0.5, like it's, it's not good. Because there's some of these guys are so good. And we're like a grassroots racer, right? There's a thing called, um, like we foot brake it. So we put our foot on the brake, give it like 3,000 RPM. And then when I launch, foot comes off the brake and I hit the gas. So it takes a lot more for me to do that. A lot of guys that they have is called a trans break, much easier, but it's expensive, right? But it can help you win races. They floor it. They adjust what RPM they want their car to go to. Let's say they adjust it to 3000 RPM. So they push the pedal all the way down and they hold this button. And when they let go of the button, the car launches automatically and their foot's already down the whole way. So it can be 
beneficial, but I've put plenty of transbrake cars on the trailer before. So it's kind of like a, like a, yeah, like, oh, you have all the bells and whistles and I still beat you. It's kind of like a badge of honor. And I, I kind of like doing more to win the race. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, like you get air shifters and stuff and all this things. I don't know. My dad's more old school and that's how I learned. So that's kind of how I am. But that that's big with helping with your reaction time. But I just thought, well, why not just get better at what I'm doing? And then a lot of times my reaction time's better. And less things to go wrong. Yeah. Unless, yeah. So you took the simple route. Yeah. And, but some people might say, well, the trans brake's a simple route because it's so easy to hold a button down. But it's like, yeah, it might, you might be easier to get a reaction time, but why am I still racing and you're done for the day? Yeah, how much control are you actually gaining or how much of an advantage are you actually gaining? Right. Because if you spend all this money on this, you think, well, I got I to gotta, I gotta tree this guy. I got to leave way before him. Well, you didn't. <laughs> so, but that's also a testament to me working on it. How do you drill it? So there's actually this app I had on my iPad and it was a tree app and you would just hit a button, hit a button on the screen, right? And it would just work on your reaction time. And then what I would do is I'd put it on the floor and I would look down at it and I would just tap it with my toe whenever I thought like I was close. I did that throughout the winter, helped a bunch. It's just a little, I do it for like five minutes a day. But over a couple of months, you kind of build that muscle memory and you kind of just like know when to hit it and it helps. So it compounded. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do a whole lot of work, but I did enough that it actually made a difference. Oh, so with the treat, it's always the same timing in between the lights. So there's what they call, there's another thing called a pro tree. That's tougher. So it's the same thing. You pre-stage, you stage. All four lights light up at once and then it's green. So they all light up for four tenths of a second and then it drops to green. Then you go. So when all those, all four light up, that's when you hit the gas. That's harder to do because you're waiting. Cause for me, you're waiting for the lights to come down, but these ones, it's just like yellow, green. When's a pro light used? So for guys that like are considered like professional racers, they'll use a pro tree. We do something called bracket racing. So it's not heads up. So we don't leave at the same time. All right. So, so how does this work? So basically let's, cause every car is not going to be the same speed, right? Let's say my car is running like 1110 all day, right? In the time trials, elimination time. Okay. Well, what's my car running? I'm going to put down 1111 just to give it just a little bit, just to give myself just a bit of a cushion. But my opponent's car Runs 10, 10 seconds. So I'm going to get a 1.1 second head start. So the theory is if you run your time, you're going to cross the finish line at the same time. But nobody crosses the finish line at the same time. That's why, it's, that's why the reaction time is so important. If I'm an 020 reaction time and he's an 040 reaction time, I have a head start regardless. Right? So he's just sitting there waiting. Yeah, so the tree is programmed to, so you're reacting to the same tree, but theirs just starts later because I have a head start or vice versa. 
So if you have a two second, if you, if your car is two seconds slower than somebody's, you have a two second head start. If your car is two hundredths faster, they have a two hundredths of a second head start. So you write down your number on your windshield in the corner and that's what you're trying to run. But here's the thing. You can't run faster than that because it's a breakout. So people will say like, oh, well, if your car runs 1110, why not just run 1150 and just stay ahead of them the whole time? Because it's really hard to do because if you, how far am I supposed to stay ahead of them? You're likely going to run too fast and then you're done. You're eliminated because you ran too fast. So you can lose if you, if you run too fast. Yeah. So that number is called an index. Yeah. Okay. And so that's the reason you're not making it. So though you run 1110, you won't put 1150 and just try to. And just keep try. my nose ahead of them. Cause that, I mean, but that's also, it's, there's a little bit of integrity. You want to win the race, but you're going to get called out on that. Like guys aren't going to be like, Oh, that's just what he did. I lost. Like that's just smart, smart decision. No, they're not. They're going to be like, what the fuck was that? Like they're not going to be happy with you. It's, it's, it's shunned upon. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not a big deal. Like it's like, if you soften up the dial in a little bit, like let's say I'm 1110 and I put like 1113, it just gives me a little bit of an advantage. But even then, even if you break out by one one thousandth of a second, you still broke out. You still lost. There's no like grace area. There's no gray area. It's just like you broke out, you lost. Just the time. That's all that matters. Yeah. So sometimes what can happen is, if you leave, if you have a really good reaction time and the guy you're racing has a really bad one, he might be two car lengths behind you. So in your mind, you're like, he's not catching me, I'm breaking out. But really, he just had a bad reaction time. So you see him coming, you know, you're driving, you know, you look behind. That's what another thing you're doing. You're always looking in your mirrors, then you're always, you know, you're just checking and then you look behind just to see where he is. Because if he's not coming, you might as well slow down a little bit and make sure you win and make sure you don't break out, but don't slow down too much because you might slow down too much. And then he jumps ahead of you in the, t and this is all happening within like three, two, three seconds going hundred plus mile an hour. And you just have to react how you would think. So it's a mental game. Even after you've hit the gas, very, Oh, huge. That's a big underestimation. People think, Oh, you just, hit the gas and you just drive. You got to know where that other guy is, right? Cause if you're just, if you look in your mirror and you only look in your mirror, so you don't like check over your shoulder and you don't see him, you're like, Oh, he's not there, but he might just be on your tail and you can't see him through your mirror until you actually look. So you, so you have to, you have to, you have to know where he is. You have to care about the, where the other guy is. Yeah. Because if he's way behind me, right? And I was like, oh, he's, okay, he's not going to catch me. Well, I'm just going to slow down a bit and make sure I take the wind light and not break out. Even if my, even if my, my um, dial in is 1110, I don't care if I run 1140 and win the race. He might be having mechanical problems or he might've had a really bad reaction time and I'm just way ahead of him. But let's say his car breaks and I break out and even though he just barely gets down the track and something's wrong with this car, he takes the win and I lose and I'm done for the day. So wait, if you break out, what's the condition for him to win still if his car breaks? Get to the finish line. 
<laughs> How do they get it there? Well, if their car can just slowly coast, like if their car breaks, that doesn't mean it's like it, it stopped. It's just like, oh, like something happened with the car. It sounds really bad. I don't want to push it. They could just coast to the finish line and they'll take the win. Don't break out, don't red light, and don't cross the center line. Those are the three ways you can be disqualified. How many mind games are happening while you're racing? There's a lot of mind games. Like guys will, if you're right beside each other in the top end, some guys will tap the brakes and dip their nose. And then you'll see the nose of their car kind of dip forward. And you'll think, oh shit, they're breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'll slow down. And then they speed up and you slow down. And they tell you, like, there's stuff like that can happen. Like it's very, like it's not like, like people are picturing it. It's not like, you know, like a big difference. But if you're driving and you see him at the corner of your eye and you can see his front hood and you see it do this, just this, just a little bit. You're like, oh, he's hitting the brakes. Why is he hitting the brakes? Just that two inch dip. Yeah, you're like, why is he hitting the brakes? And then you think, should I hit the brakes? And then you think, oh no, I'm not gonna hit the brakes. He's messing with me. And then you break out and you're like, fuck, I should hit the brakes. Or he hits the brakes because he thinks I can't catch this guy because I might just be like a half a car ahead of him. And he's thinking, well, I can't catch this guy. So I'm just going to like maybe slow down to try to trick him. Then he slows down and I speed up as he's slow. Like there's stuff like that can happen. You like, I mean, you have, that only happens. Like some of the older guys will do that because they've been racing for years and they, they kind of know how to do that. I'm more so like, I remember when I first started racing, like I didn't even like, I was oblivious to all that. So I like, I don't think anybody really did it to me, but that stuff can happen. Now I know of it and like I can re I can make a decision pretty quick on how I'm going to react, which is probably not at all. I'll probably just run it out. So you'll just do it. You'll take the chance. Yeah. Like I've had a lot of times where like I can see him at the corner of my eye. He's like his like front bumper is where like the door is where I'm sitting. I'm like, oh, like he's right there. And when the finish line's closer and closer and closer and right, right before I cross the center line, I'll like do like two stabs on the brakes just to slow it down just enough. Cause I'm like, even though I have half a car length, if I just kind of stab the brakes, it'll slow it down maybe just a little bit just so I can really ensure I win. Oh, so you don't break out. You're going to buy that little bit of that fraction of a because second that, time. That people might think, oh, well, what's like two little stabs in the brakes going to do? Like I said, if you break out by one thousandth of a second, you're done. That might have saved me two thousandth of a second, and I might have just run out exactly on my number. So there's a lot that goes into it. That's a ton. Yeah. And there's mind games guys will play on you before you race. So well, they, they release this ladder, right? And it's like your standings, and it shows who you're going to race in the first round. Like I had this one guy come up to me one time. And I'd raced him a few times before. And, he, and he's like, hey, yeah, we're racing in the first round. I was like, yeah. And then you, whoever had the better reaction time gets lane choice. Right? So if I had the better reaction time, I get to pick the lane. Or sometimes I'll defer because I really don't care. Like, to me, it doesn't really matter. Some people have their favorite lane. So I was like, yeah, go ahead. Like, what lane do you want? He's like, oh, you're going to give me the lane. I was like, yeah, I don't care. And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. My car has been running bad all day. I'm probably going to lose. You know, he's like, I'm probably going to lose anyways. Just knock me out. I know my car is running like crap today. I was like, okay. (laughs) So we go back and we're waiting. I was like, what a weird thing to say to somebody, right? Like, 
the, your vote to race. And then I, I did. I beat him. So I was like, oh, there you go. And then I told my dad about it. And he's like, yeah. He's like, guys like to just say things. and Oh, so he was trying to get in your just head. Just play little games with you. Like, um, four guys will ask you, like, does your car like heat? Like, it's pretty hot out today. Like, so they'll take these little, these, these little, little jabs. Thi- and it, it doesn't seem like offensive. It's just these little things that make you think, you're like, why would you say that? But it could get in your head because that thousandth of a second when you're, yeah. when you're at that tree. Yeah, could. What are you thinking when somebody, so, because let's say you're at 11, you're 11, 10 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, some, and somebody's, right a, somebody's a 12 second car and they give you, they give them that 0.9. How are you managing He's already left. Yeah. So that 0.9 seconds, you don't really see the car leaving. You don't really think about it. You can see him launch, but you have to focus because your trees are going to come down soon. So you can't be worried about who he's doing until you leave. Also, right? you don't even see the other car. Well, you can see it. If, no, but you're, ton- you but are you're, focused. You, you're yeah, dialed in. I'm, I got blinders on. I don't see what he's doing. I don't care what he's doing, right? But there's times where I used to race in a class called Sportsman. We were a little slower, around like 1160. But that class, you can race like 15 second cars, 16 second cars. Like guys like, oh, I'm just going to bring out my car this weekend and try to race. So you're sitting with the lights and you see this car like, it's just like really slow. And you just like see him going down the track. It's like, he's going to get to the finish line before I leave. That's what it looks like. And then your tree comes down and then I hit the gap up, 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 and I just launch. And then now you're just chasing and he's not moving very fast. And, but you're, he had such a head start. You're like, Oh man, I'm never going to catch him. And then you usually do, but yeah, that I hated those races. That was the one reason I didn't like racing in sportsman. The Be- four second head starts because of like the head starts. And it's like, then it, cause that gets in your head. Cause you're sitting there and you don't want to be like on the gas revving your engine. You got to time it. Like, okay, when do I start to rev my engine? Cause he's already left. Right. And then it gets in your head and he's like, he's so far ahead. I have to have a really good reaction time. And then you red light. That's that. And that pissed me off when I would do that. I was like, you idiot, but it's hard to do because you're like, he's so far ahead of me. How do you recover from a red light? That does get in your head, especially if it's become a theme. You know, let's say you red lit twice in time trials, right? And you're like, then you're elimin- you're in eliminations. You can't red light or you're, you're, else your day's over, right? So you're sitting there thinking, oh, don't do it again. But you can't think that way, but it's kind of hard not to when you're sitting there and you see the lights coming down and you're like, when do I leave? So you get worried. I don't want a red light. So then you leave late and then the race is over anyways because you left late. I've usually recovered pretty good from red lights though. Like I've usually put it past me and I can usually bounce back. Yeah. Yeah. So it generally doesn't cascade for you. No, I mean it has in the past, but I feel like the more more experience I've gotten, I've just kind of let it go. I'm like, red lights are going to happen. So you just accept it and you Yeah. But then I'm like, it's not going to happen this time. And I just convinced myself you're not going to red light because you, you know how to, you've had good lights before you know how to react. Just do that. <laughs> so you tuned it in. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Unreal. <laughs> All right, man. Should we call it? Yeah, that's good.